Chapter Ten of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, a Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Introduction, The Last Abbot of Whaley. Chapter Ten, The Whole Houses. At this moment the blast of a trumpet resounded from the gateway, and the Earl of Derby, with the sheriff on his right hand and Asherton on the left, and mounted on a richly caparisoned charger, rode forth. He was preceded by four javelinmen, and followed by two heralds in their tabards. To doleful tolling of bells, to solemn music, to plaintive hymn chanted by monks, to roll of muffled drum at intervals, the sad cortege set forth. Loud cries from the bystanders marked its departure, and some of them followed it, but many turned away, unable to endure the sight of horror about to ensue. Among those who went on was Hallanabs, but he took care to keep out of the way of the guard, though he was little likely to be recognised owing to his disguise. Despite the miserable state of the weather, a great multitude was assembled at the place of execution, and they watched the approaching cavalcade with moody curiosity. To prevent disturbance, arquebusiers were stationed in parties here and there, and a clear course for the cortege was preserved by two lines of halberdiers with crossed pikes. But notwithstanding this, much difficulty was experienced in mounting the hill. Rendered slippery by the wet, and yet more so by the trampling of the crowd, the road was so bad in places that the horses could scarcely drag the hurdles up it, and more than one delay occurred. The stoppages were always denounced by groans, yells, and hootings from the mob, and these neither the menaces of the Earl of Derby nor the active measures of the guard could repress. At length, however, the cavalcade reached its destination. Then the crowd struggled forward, and settled into a dense, compact ring round the circular railing enclosing the place of execution, within which were drawn up the Earl of Derby, the Sheriff, Asherton, and the principal gentlemen, together with Demdike and his assistants, the guard forming a circle three deep round them. Paslew was first unloosed, and when he stood up he found Father Smith, the late prior, beside him, and tenderly embraced him. "'Be of good courage, Father Abbot,' said the prior. "'A few moments, and you will be numbered with the just.' "'My hope is in the infinite mercy of heaven, Father,' replied Pasnew, sighing deeply. "'Pray for me at the last.' "'Doubt it not,' returned the prior fervently. "'I will pray for you now and ever.' Meanwhile the bonds of the two other captives were unfastened but they were found wholly unable to stand without support. A lofty ladder had been placed against the central scaffold, and up this Demdike, having cast off his hoopland, mounted and adjusted the rope. His tall, gaunt figure, fully displayed in his tight-fitting red garb, made him look like a hideous scarecrow. His appearance was greeted by the mob with a perfect hurricane of indignant outcries and yells. He heeded them not, but calmly pursued his task. Above him wheeled the two ravens, who had never quitted the place since daybreak, uttering their discordant cries. When all was done, he descended a few steps, 
and taking a black hood from his girdle to place over the head of his victim, called out in a voice which had little human in its tone, "'I wait for you, John Paslew.' "'Are you ready, Paslew?' demanded the Earl of Derby. "'I am, my lord,' replied the abbot, and embracing the prior for the last time, he added, "'Vale carissime frater, in eternum vale et dominos tecum, sit in ultionem inimicorum nostrorum.' "'It is the king's pleasure that you say not a word in your justification to the mob, Paslew,' observed the earl. "'I had no such intention, my lord,' replied the abbot. "'Then tarry no longer,' said the earl. "'If you need aid, you shall have it.' "'I require none,' replied Paslew resolutely. With this he mounted the ladder, with as much firmness and dignity as if ascending the steps of a tribune.' Hitherto nothing but yells and angry outcries had stunned the ears of the lookers-on, and several missiles had been hurled at Demdike, some of which took effect, though without occasioning him discomfiture. But when the abbot appeared above the heads of the guard, the tumult instantly subsided, and profound silence ensued. Not a breath was drawn by the spectators. The ravens alone continued their ominous croaking. Alan Abbs, who stood on the outskirts of the ring, saw thus far, but he could bear it no longer, and rushed down the hill. Just as he reached the level ground, a culverin was fired from the gateway, and the next moment a loud wailing cry, bursting from the mob, told that the abbot was launched into eternity. Hal would not look back, but went slowly on, and presently afterwards other horrid sounds dinned in his ears, telling that all was over with the two other sufferers. Sickened and faint, he leant against a wall for support. How long he continued thus he knew not, but he heard the cavalcade coming down the hill, and saw the Earl of Derby and his attendants ride past. Glancing towards the place of execution, Hal then perceived that the abbot had been cut down, and rousing himself he joined the crowd now rushing towards the gate, and ascertained that the body of Paslew was to be taken to the convent church and deposited there till orders were to be given respecting its interment. He learnt also that the removal of the corpse was entrusted to Demdike. Fired by this intelligence, and suddenly conceiving a wild project of vengeance, founded upon what he had heard from the abbot of the wizard being proof against weapons forged by men, he hurried to the church, entered it, the door being thrown open, and rushing up to the gallery, contrived to get out through a window upon the top of the porch, where he secreted himself behind the great stone statue of St. Gregory. The information he had obtained proved correct. Ere long a mournful train approached the church, and a bier was set down before the porch. A black hood covered the face of the dead, but the vestments showed that it was the body of Paslew. At the head of the bearers was Demdike, and when the body was set down he advanced towards it, and removing the hood, gazed at the livid and distorted features. "'At length I am fully avenged,' he said. "'And Abbot Paslew also!' cried a voice above him. Demdike looked up, but the look was his last, for the ponderous statue of St. Gregory de Northbury, launched from its pedestal, fell upon his head and crushed him to the ground. A mangled and breathless mass was taken from beneath the image, 
and the hands and visage of Paslew were found spotted with blood dashed from the gory carcass. The author of the wizard's destruction was suspected, but never found, nor was it positively known who had done the deed till years after, when Hallen Abbs, who meanwhile had married pretty Dorothy Croft, and had been blessed by numerous offspring in the union, made his last confession, and then he exhibited no remarkable or becoming penitence for the act, neither was he refused absolution. Thus it came to pass that the abbot and his enemy perished together. The mutilated remains of the wizard were placed in a shell, and hurried away into the grave where his wife had that morning been laid. But no prayer was said over him and the superstitious believed that the body was carried off that very night by the fiend, and taken to a witch's sabbath in the ruined tower on Rimmington Moor. Certain it was that the unhallowed grave was disturbed. The body of Pasnew was decently interred in the north aisle of the parish church of Whaley, beneath a stone with a Gothic cross sculptured upon it, and bearing the piteous inscription, Miserere Mei. But in the belief of the vulgar, the abbot did not rest tranquilly. For many years afterwards a white-robed monastic figure was seen to flit along the cloisters, pass out at the gate, and disappear with a wailing cry over the whole-houses, and the same ghostly figure was often seen to glide through the corridor in the abbot's lodging, and vanish at the door of the chamber leading to the little oratory. Thus Whaley Abbey was supposed to be haunted, and few liked to wander through its deserted cloisters or ruined church after dark. The abbot's tragical end was thus recorded. Johannes Paslew, Capitali Affectus Supplicia, 12th Mensis Martif, 1537. As to the infant, upon whom the abbot's malediction fell, it was reserved for the dark destinies shadowed forth in the dread anathema he had uttered to the development of which the tragic drama about to follow is devoted, and to which the fate of Abbot Paslew forms a necessary and a fitting prologue. Thus far the veil of the future may be drawn aside. That infant, and her progeny, became the Lancashire Witches. End of chapter 10 and of the introduction.